spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with the silent assassin Matt Costa. And I think I did everything correctly. I think I made it so that we can broadcast the show and still not disrupt the Red Sox broadcast that's happening on WBSM. I, I think. But we'll find out if I'm wrong. The phone lines will start to light up with people saying, I was listening to that game. Why am I hearing somebody talking about ghosts? But uh, that is what we are here to talk about. We're here to talk about the paranormal. That's what we talk about each and every Saturday night. And we are streaming live on the Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com and on YouTube. We're streaming live on WBSM.com. We're streaming live on the WBSM app. And we're streaming live on the Paranormal Radio app. So thank you to everybody who's joining us, however you are joining us. Uh, do me a favor, if you have a moment during the show, jump in the chat room on the YouTube channel and let you know, let us know that you're there. Say hello there. Or maybe tweet us at SpookySC or send us an email, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com and let us know how you are enjoying the show, if it's in a different fashion, if you're using the Paranormal Radio app or... Streaming us on WBSM.com or the WBSM app. Let us know how you're listening or watching the show tonight. And we do have a good show for you tonight. Stephanie Burke is not here. Matt Moniz is not here. Matt Moniz is off on some kind of an adventure. Stephanie's down in Tennessee doing an event with Porter at the, uh, at the location that I believe you saw on last week's episode of Haunted Live. I forget the name of it right now, but that's where they are. And for those of you who saw last night's episode of Haunted Live on the Travel Channel, very exciting to see Echovox used on TV and actually have great results for Echovox. Now, those of you who have listened to Spooky South Coast before, you know that I've long been a proponent of the Echobox, Echobox, Echovox app. But uh, it's been a rough go trying to get that on television over the last few years. I've, I've tried on all the different series that I've worked to get them to give Echovox a try, but a lot of times they were kind of reluctant to put it on television because it is an app and because a lot of the paranormal community out there is untrustworthy of apps. But uh, I can say Echovox is the real deal. I use it on all of my investigations, and I'm always impressed with what comes through. So I recommend that you give it a try. It uh, It is... You know, pricey if you want to buy it. It's it's not a free app. It's not a one dollar app, but uh, the results that you will get are, are well worth it. So if you do get a chance, if you haven't seen Haunted Life already, or if you did watch it, you'll see some of the responses that they got direct communication from the Echo Box with the investigators last night with the Tennessee Wraith Chasers. And uh, no, it's not four ninety nine, Mister Abney, on the chat room. I'm sorry, it's a little more than that. It's uh, it's twenty dollars uh, if you use iPhone. I believe it's $30 if you use Android for the most current version, the Echovox 3. But like I said, I highly recommend it. It's uh, it's very intensive. Uh, if you have never used it before and you first use it uh, and you're a little overwhelmed by all the different settings, I recommend going on Facebook and joining the Echovox Users Facebook group because not only will you find other investigators in there that you can talk about, people who use Echovox every day, not only will you find the creator, Danny Roberge, who hangs out in that group all the time, sharing his adventures and, and sharing the latest developments on Echovox and giving some some expert advice on how to operate it best, but a lot of the people that are in there that have been using this for a long time, they've made they have saved files of their favorite settings. 
And so they will be willing to share with you those files, which you can then upload into your version of EchoVox. So it will set your settings to the same that they use and what they've been getting great results from. So it's a really, you know, even though Danny made it, then the community has really made it what it is because people are constantly uh, tinkering with it. People are constantly trying new things. Of course, a few weeks ago at the Plymouth Paracon, we tried the SDs method, the dual SDs method, using EchoVox with some fantastic results. And since we started talking about that last week on the show, uh, we've had dozens of people that have been emailing us and contacting us on social media saying, you know, I can't believe what happened with that. So if you haven't checked that out yet, you can do that. It's uh, it's on SpookySouthCoast.com, and it's on our YouTube channel as well. And I know a lot of folks are in there saying that they've they've never tried. Uh, they, they're not on Facebook, so they're not going to get involved with that group. That's fine. Don't let that keep you from trying to use EchoVox. Uh, you'll just, you know, you'll just have to find your own settings that work for you. Or if you ever have any questions, you can always email me, and I can see what I can do about uh, getting you the information that you need. A little bit later on tonight, we're going to be joined by our guest. That'll be Nancy Rhines. We'll be talking about her near-death experience and how it turned her from an atheist into a believer. And those of you who have listened to the show for a long time, you know that uh, I'm not anybody with any particular religious background or any particular religious beliefs. Uh, And it sounds like neither was Nancy before she had this near-death experience, but what she went through changed her mind. So maybe what she can share with us tonight will change my mind. But we're going to let her share that story with us coming up. You've probably seen her on the Megyn Kelly Today show. She's been all over uh, television and radio in recent weeks and months talking about her near-death experience and how it changed her life. So we'll talk with Nancy Hines coming up in just a little bit. Nancy Rhines, I'm sorry, in just a little bit. Uh, I do want to let everybody know that uh, the paranormal Christmas season has begun this week. We have a couple of things coming up. If you are in the South Coast area and you want to hang out with us and and get involved in some spooky Halloween activities on Thursday, October 11th, I will be presenting Paranormal 101 at the Mattapoisett Historical Society. And this is a, a great thing for anybody out there who has thought about investigating the paranormal, thought about going out on a ghost hunt, but has never actually uh, pulled the trigger and done it. Maybe you're not exactly sure what it is that you're looking for or how to look for it. Uh, Maybe you just want to have something small to get your feet wet and not be too intensive uh, as, you know, paying a a high ticket price to get into one of these paranormal events. Well, this is the event for you because it's just $10. The proceeds are going to benefit the Mattapoisett Historical Society. It's $10. And for that, we will have the Paranormal 101 presentation, which is about a 45-minute presentation. Uh, We will have a question and answer period after that. And then following that, we're going to investigate their building, which is a a church from the 1800s. And so we're going to investigate that building, and we'll see what it is that we can find. Nobody has ever investigated there before, and we're going to be the first ones to actually look and see if, if there are any ghostly happenings in that building so that'll be happening thursday night it's just ten dollars a ticket however i do recommend that you try to get your tickets ahead of time uh, the mattapoisett historical society are the ones selling those you can go to mattapoissettghosts.eventbrite.com to be able to buy those tickets uh, or you can give the mattapoisett historical society a call or message them on facebook and um 
I'm sure they'll have some tickets available at the door as well. But uh, just it's better if you can get get your your tickets ahead of time because they're a little bit worried. There, it's a small amount of tickets that are being sold. It's a it's just a small building where we're going to be holding this. So um, it's best to get your tickets in advance. And then uh, also, if you are interested in actually going out on an actual paranormal investigation, one of these events that we do, well, then you can go to our event that's coming up next Saturday night in North Andover, Massachusetts at the Reverend, I'm sorry, the Parson Barnard House in North Andover. This is the building that's tied into the Salem Witch Trials. Uh, Reverend Thomas Barnard was originally believed to be one of the accusers of the Salem Witches, but then it turns out that history has shown that he was actually trying to help out with uh, clearing their names and, and, and trying to get them from, from being put on trial. So we're going to try and set the record straight a little bit with an investigation dedicated to, toward uh, Reverend Thomas Barnard on the 300th anniversary of his death. He died on um, October 13th of uh, 1718. Right? Does that make sense? Yes. So October 13th of 1718, this will be the 300th anniversary of his death, Saturday night. And we will go over to his grave. Uh, we will also investigate the house. But there is a character by the name of Simeon who lives in the attic. Because at one point that building was used as a school. And Simeon was not very nice to the boys that were in his care and uh, Simeon Putnam we believe his name is and Simeon is not uh, not too nice to us either when we're there and the last time we were there we had some really really weird stuff happening in that attic and if you saw the episode of Haunted Towns where, where they investigated Salem Doogie was actually up in that attic by himself and had some weird things happening he was pushed there so when we were in that attic last year for the event that we did there it was just a, a heavy feeling, a, a, a darkness that was in that room that I can't describe. It's, it's like when you're in the dark, after a while, your eyes get adjusted to the dark. After a while, you can start to see a little bit in the dark. I mean, obviously, we don't have great night vision being human beings, but your eyes do get kind of acclimated to your surroundings. That, that never happened for the hours that we spent in that attic. It was crazy. So we're hoping that uh, more of the same happens and we can try to get to the bottom of what's going on. But we'll be doing all of that coming up on Saturday. And, uh, of course, there's all kinds of things going on the rest of October. I'll be all over the place doing uh, some library lectures. You can come and see me talking about topics such as haunted objects and ghosts of the South Coast and all of those things. Uh, I'll have them all up on the website and they're all up on my Facebook page. And all those library lectures... Uh, are free of charge. But we do have another fundraising event coming up at the end of October on the 28th in Plymouth, actually in Manomet Village, which is part of Plymouth. Uh, there's there's the Symes House. We'll be doing an investigation there as well. And that one's $25 to come in, but that also helps to raise money for them as well. So that we'll have more information on that coming up a little bit later on in the month. And to also just announced today, I'm going to be doing my first book signing in eight years. I haven't done a book signing for Ghosts of the South Coast since 2010 when the book came out. But the Barnes & Noble in Dartmouth wants to have me come and 
do a book signing for Ghosts of the South Coast coming up at the end of this month. So I will be there, and uh, if you have the book already, you can bring it by, but they're going to have plenty of copies there to buy. And I know a lot of folks have said to me, you know, they've had trouble finding it over the years. And I've always said that, uh, you know, Barnes & Noble in Dartmouth is the best place to go because they always have copies of it in stock. And so now they're going to have me come in and, and do a book signing, and that will be happening uh, at the end of October. I'm going to get you the date, but that's it's uh, the times. It's also on the 28th. Just give me a moment here as I scroll through all of their events, although I could have just done this thing where it says you can just search for the event name. But, uh, mm-hmm, wow, it's not showing up. Okay, hang on, I'm going to find it by the date. Well, I don't have you listed under there as an author. Anyway, it's on the 28th. I believe it is uh, from 1 to 3 p.m. I'll be there signing books at the Dartmouth Barnes & Noble. So come on by, uh, pick up a copy of Ghost of the South Coast if you haven't already picked it up, and we will, uh, we'll, we'll have a blast talking about some ghost stories on the South Coast. If you are unsure of any of these events, if you're not sure about the calendar or anything, you can always check out SpookySouthCoast.com or just email me, Tim, at SpookySouthCoast.com. And uh, and then we'll we'll make sure that you can find out all the different things that are going on. So as I said, a full paranormal Christmas. I didn't even mention the fact that in two weeks, two weeks from tonight, we'll be at Edaville in Carver, Massachusetts. Uh, should I sing the song, Matt? <clears throat> Let's see. Edaville Family Fun Park. No, is it Family Fun Park or Family Theme Park? Edaville Family Theme Park. I think it's that one. So we'll be at Edaville uh, for an eerie night at Edaville, uh, another one of our paranormal investigation nights. And if you've never been to Edaville, it's awesome. It's a it's a it's an amusement park that we're going to have the run of the place after hours. And so when we get there, we're going to take a train ride around Edaville, uh, and then at the end of the event, uh, and then at the end of the train ride, we'll have some pizza, and then after that, we will be uh, investigating for hours. And uh, you you definitely want to take care uh, uh, take uh, part in this investigation because not anybody, not just anybody, gets access like we're going to have to the museum building, to the suicide house where three different people have killed themselves over the years. Uh, the, the museum building has had tragedy as well that we're not allowed to talk about publicly, but we will share with you while we are there. And um, all the decorations from when, if you were a kid like me, and if you grew up going to Edaville at Christmas time, a lot of the decorations that you remember being out there are now in the attic of the museum building. And we get to go up there and investigate with all of that as well. Plus the Midway, all those rides came from other parks, and they all bring their own energies with them, including, I know for a fact, the carousel came from Gaslight Village in Lake George, New York, which is a known haunted theme park that is now no more. So there's all kinds of weird energies going around uh, Edaville, and, of course, it's built on native, former Native American land, which has its own uh, activity associated with it as well. So you can take part in that event. And then November 17th, we'll be at the Bull Mansion in Worcester, our first time ever investigating there. 
We'll be uh, checking that place out and also having some of their, their fine pizza that they offer there. So all of those events are, are for sale at uh, SpookySouthCoast.com if you want to get your tickets for those. Uh, I would highly recommend getting those early because as the season wears on and people are looking for spooky, fun things to do, they'll start grabbing up those tickets. So if you if you want to go, you want to make sure that you grab yours now. So we are going to be talking about near-death experiences coming up with our guest, Nancy Rines. We'll take your calls throughout the night as well. If you want to call in with any questions for Nancy during the discussion or just about near-death experiences or maybe share some of your own or maybe you have some questions about her story, the number to call in is 508-996-0500. If you want to call in toll-free, 877-996-1420. We have um, the phone lines open throughout the course of the program. So it's not like other shows where, you know, we, we say we're going to have to save the phone calls for the final segment or anything like that. We like to keep the phone lines open throughout the entire night because this show is just as much your show as it is ours. We're only doing this so that, you know, you can hear these stories and that you can hear what these folks have to say, what our guests have to say, and... So we want to make sure that you feel like you can be part of the show at any time. So you can call in throughout the course of the night. You can also drop your questions in for us in the chat room at SpookySouthCoast.com, on Spooky TV, on YouTube, if you uh, want to ask questions there. The only thing that we ask is if you want to ask a question, please put it in all capital letters if it's a question that you want to have answered on the air, and a, I mean a serious question that you want to have answered on the air, because... Um, well, because I need to be able to see it through all of the scrolling chat. So that, that really helps. And, and if you really, really, really want to make sure that we see it, then you can, uh, you can do the, the super chat. Super chat's turned on tonight, Matt? Uh, yes. Okay. It would help if I turn your microphone on. But uh, super, right. cha- super chat is on. So yep. if, super chat's on. So if anybody wants to do that, you, and all you have to do for super chat is you make a small donation of, of your determination to the program. And, uh, and you'll be able to ask your question in Super Chat, and it'll show up. And, you know, maybe you just want to throw us a couple bucks anyway. You can do that through Super Chat. That's another way to help out with the show with because uh, this is all funded out of our own pockets. You know, we, um, we pay for the podcasting. We pay for the website. We pay for all that stuff. And uh, we, don't, uh, we don't get paid to be here on the radio. So this is our way of uh, helping to finance some of the operation. So that's uh, a good way to help us out. Not that we have our hands out. We're not trying to beg you for any money. We're not trying to get you to keep a roof over our heads or or feed our pets or anything. But uh, we do appreciate anything that you can do to help us keep the show running smoothly. And uh, we will make sure that if you ask a question in Super Chat, if you make a donation to Super Chat in any way, we'll make sure that we recognize that on the air, too. So... Sometimes you do that kind of stuff and you get in trouble. It's like that thing, Matt, they do, you know. You know they do it like at St. Patrick's Day and at Christmas time and Halloween where you can you can buy the, the pumpkin or whatever and they All put right. it on the wall yep. at the store. And then if you pay for it, you can kind of write whatever you want on it. Yeah. Like as long as it's clean. You, you, can, you can get away with some stuff. So I've, I've always made, made the donation and I've always put SpookySouthCoast.com on it. Right. Just thinking, like, if I put the donation up there, somebody will see it and be like, oh, I don't know what that is. I'm going to check that out. Right. So it's a way to kind of give back and, and still be able to, you know, promote the show a little bit. Because I don't think people realize. We, we do give a lot back. Like, with all these events that we do, like, this isn't money that goes all in our pockets. Oh, right, yeah. We're making substantial donations back to these locations and helping to keep them going. So, 
you know, we, we like to think of ourselves as a slightly philanthropic organization. So that's why we're we're willing to do the same thing. If you make a, a donation, we'll we'll mention you on air. But uh, there's uh, there's some limits. Even though we're not technically on the radio right now, there's there's still some things that we we can't say. Damn it! I know, such a rebel. Right. I said the one. I said a word that like everybody word. says on the radio every day. Uh, but um, dag gummit. <laughs> but uh, certainly uh, we will uh, we will. Continue with our Super Chat program in the future uh, where we work with uh, some nonprofit organizations uh, where some of that Super Chat money will be donated to those nonprofit organizations. So I don't want people to think that um, we're doing this all just for ourselves. Uh, just tonight, it just so happens that we don't have it linked up to any particular nonprofit. So tonight, the money will go to us, which we're, we're a pretty deserving entity ourselves. So. Matt, we're, we're going to be talking about near-death experiences. Before we do that, I, I have to ask you, have you ever had a near-death experience? Have you ever had uh, uh, something where – have you ever had an experience where you thought you should have died or, or that you didn't die? Um, I don't think uh, it came to the – to the where I thought I was going to uh, perish, but I mean – I've gotten in minor car accidents before where I thought my life was in danger. Have you have you had like that experience where like your life flashes before your eyes type of thing? Um no. No. Um maybe you get that um kind of like freeze freeze up mm-hmm. where like right before like an accident or something where everything kind of slows down. Uh but I've never had like a uh thrown me back to like years before and seen like gone over all the bad stuff i've done and or anything like that like like uh was that movie albert brooks defending your life where you had to like uh, yep yep uh i think the closest i've ever had was i've I've had some moments where um i thought i was gonna die mm-hmm. but i ended up not dying which i was thankful for but you know like uh like when you're choking on something yeah. or you eat a egg salad down from a gas station well that's that's a danger that i i do that just to keep myself sharp <laughs> you know, I like to walk in and be like, uh, I'm feeling dangerous today. What should I do? Oh, I think I'll try an egg salad sandwich. Um, but uh, generally, you know, generally I've had a few of those experiences where it's been that, uh, you know, you start choking and, and there's no water around and you're worried if you can like make it to a sink or, or the fridge or something to oh, grab right. something yeah. to drink, uh, to wash it down. And, you know, I've had a few of those moments and, it's 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 usually when you're shame eating, when you're like eating alone <laughs> and you're really like shoving your face, right, right, and not bothering to like take normal human bites, right. Like that's when you're like, <laughs> it's a, it's always it, it always happens that uh, at those times because those are the times where you can be just an animal and just devour things whole. And, and you are yeah, and you are shame eating anyway. So right. like you're alone, like you're naturally <laughs> alone for that. So if you do start choking, you're screwed. Oh, Unless yeah, you can yeah. self-heim like yourself, yeah. which you really need like a chair for. All right, we're going to get into the discussion with our guest coming up in just a moment. Matt, if I can just ask a favor of you, would you mind just running out into the hallway and grabbing me uh, like a cup from the from the water? Because I, I have a, a two-liter bottle of soda over here, but I don't want to drink directly from the bottle. I don't want everybody to know that I drink directly from the bottle. So I want to be classy and uh, and be able to do it that way. 
But let, why don't we get into it with our guest right now? Uh, she's going to be joining us for the rest of the show. Nancy Rhines is a leading voice for personalizing the wisdom of near-death experiences, developing our heart-centered intuition and living a life of inspiration and creativity. And she joins us on the line right now. Good evening, Nancy. Are you with us? I am. And uh, we are so happy to have you. Uh, I was uh, watching some of your appearance on uh, Megyn Kelly today and and hearing some of your story. And I think this is something that will uh, resonate with a lot of our listeners. And it's not a topic that we've covered a lot here on the program. Near-death experiences is something that I think happens a lot more often than people realize. It's actually a lot more common than we've talked about um, in, in the popular media. In fact, I think it's probably... Um, I don't know, 30, 40% of people have had some kind of experience like this over the course of their lives, whether they've told anybody about it or not. And it's also one of those uh, experiences that uh, for a lot of people, and, and we'll certainly get into how it happened to you, but it's a life-altering experience for people. It, it changes the path that they're on when it happens. It sure can, especially if... You know, you're in a place of acceptance of what happened, and and sometimes that can take years for people um, to get to that point. But it it often does make profound changes in someone's life. See, I'm I'm somebody that has, uh, you know, I, I've often thought to myself going through my life and having certain challenges come up and and certain things happen. I've always kind of thought, okay, maybe I'm going down the wrong path. Maybe I need to change the way that I'm doing things. And then inevitably, I, I don't. Inevitably, it's not a, a strong enough desire to make that change. But with, with NDEs, I think when it happens to somebody, it is such a profound thing that you realize that you just you can't go on in the same way that you were. Well, for most of us, it is that way. Yeah, I think, quite frankly, I think most of us who have these NDEs have them for a specific reason, and it is to force a change in our lives. Um, I get asked a lot why more more people don't have them. Why doesn't everybody have these? And I, I honestly think that some of us need these wake-up calls more than other people do. I know I did. <laughs> and um, it, it's something that you can't ignore when it happens. But, you know, some, some people are on a pretty good path already when it happens and don't have to make a, a lot of big changes. But Certainly, in any case, what it does, or at least it did for me, is it gave me, I think, a wider glimpse into the grand reality of the universe, you know, that that the universe isn't just this physical world. And for me, that was extremely valuable. Well, we'll we'll get into your actual experience and and what happened, but uh, you know, in generally speaking, you know, you were an atheist before you had this experience. But would you say that you were? Outside of that belief uh, or lack of belief, would you say that you were down any kind of wrong path prior to what happened? Oh, I think I was really just in a rut, uh, meaning that I wasn't really fully happy with my life. I, I think I wasn't true, being true to myself, um, and I wasn't listening to who I really was, you know, what what I wanted to do and what I wanted to be. Um, I certainly wasn't living from a place of compassion and kindness. You know, I, it's not that I was a bad person, but those weren't important things in my life. 
um, not like they are today. And I, mostly it was I was unkind to myself, and I think that's the piece that really needed an overhaul. So, so that being said, then, do you feel like what happened to you happened for that reason to to kind of give you that reset? It was a complete do over. <laughs> yeah, it uh, it it. It allowed me to take stock of not only that, but a lot of other things in my life and to reprioritize how it was I was living and what what kinds of things I was doing. So obviously, you know, my friends and family, especially my daughter, became much more important um, in my life rather than the job or anything else. So I, I, I swapped things around as you know, sometimes when you're a single mom and I'm in a list, other priorities can creep in and be there. So I just changed things around a lot. And, you know, my, my family and friends became more important. Um, and I gave more stuff to what it was going on in my own life. In my own I think we're, we're losing you just a little bit, Nancy. We're losing you just a little bit with with the phone signal, I think. Okay. Um, but I mean, that's I mean, I think a lot of people who have these experiences, you know, they they always come back and they say this this happened for a reason. This happened because, uh, you know, I was I was living the wrong way or going down the wrong path, and I needed this to kind of uh, kind of be like a shock to the system almost to 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 get me on the right track or on the right path to get me to spreading the right message. And, uh, and and that's why it's it's something that I'm sure as you're going through it, it it seems challenging and it seems traumatic. But when you come out of it on the other side and you have a message like you have to spread around, then it makes you feel like you know you're actually very fortunate and very lucky to have gone through what you have because you know you were chosen to be able to spread this message. Yeah, and I feel great every day. You know, it's a traumatic experience physically. Um, I still feel a lot of gratitude for what happened and brought my life. I, th- I think we're still losing you just a little bit there. I don't know if it's. Uh, are you on a cell phone? Is that the issue? I probably is the issue. Yeah, I may have to call you back. Okay, uh, and, and feel free uh, if you if you need to do that, we can we can certainly give you that opportunity. Okay. All right, we'll. I'll I'll disconnect you now, and you can just call us right. right back. Okay. And uh, and that that is something that uh, I feel with a lot of people is they we see it happen in all the different things that we talk about here on the show where it takes an earth shattering experience to have somebody's worldview changed and to have their own personal life goals change and that's what makes all the difference and uh, so let's see if we can bring Nancy back through now are you with us again Nancy is that you? I am. Oh, that sounds great. Good. Okay. It's just we we run into some issues sometimes with uh, with uh, phone service, and we want to make sure that things sound as great as it can because we are broadcasting solely on the internet tonight. Because the the Red Sox decided that they were going to play a playoff game on our radio station. So <laughs> go Sox. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know. I didn't. I wasn't paying attention, but it didn't sound like it was going so well. Uh, oh no! So we'll see what happens. It's 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 okay. It's it's a Red Sox Yankee series. It's going to have its ups and downs. All so, right. So why don't we get into your actual experience and and what happened to you? Because it could be something that could happen to anybody. 
It, it, unfortunately, yes, it was. This was, for me, uh, uh, an accident. I mean, what, I was completely healthy beforehand, so it wasn't like I had a heart attack or anything. Um, but I was bicycling in my hometown in Colorado, and it was. It, I lived in a really small town, so it wasn't a big deal to to bike on the roads. And one morning, I went out for a bike ride just to do some errands, and went into a new um, traffic circle that they had just installed. And partway through, um, I noticed that there was some traffic coming in from my right, and it looked like they were going to slow down. There was a a, a big uh, Chevy Tahoe, I think it was, in the lead. And it looked like that vehicle was slowing down. They had a uh, vehicle behind me, which was like a, some kind of a small SUV. And um, I thought at the last minute that, that she was going to slow down, but then I realized when it was too late that the woman who was driving the Tahoe just was going to blow right through the the yield sign and didn't even slow down. Um, and I had, couldn't avoid the accident, so she hit me broadside um, on my right hand side as I was bicycling and uh, luckily I had a helmet on so it didn't really impact you know my head much but I ended up on the the hood of her vehicle looking in at her and um, she had a cell phone in her hand Hmm. and um, so she was driving the cell phone I guess she was texting the, the story and um, she kept driving, and I couldn't hang on anymore. I ended up slipping down over the front of her vehicle and ended up being dragged underneath of her vehicle for something like 50 feet, uh, which was pretty horrendous. I remember everything like it was yesterday. <laughs> we were, we so were having... A little bit of a weird phone thing there for a second. Uh, I, uh, I made some adjustments over here, but for for a minute there, it sounded like you were uh, you were on a spaceship, Nancy. I don't know what happened. Oh, yeah. So um, maybe uh, sounds like it went away. <laughs> but this is what happens when we broadcast solely on the internet. You never know what's going to happen. Um, sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt your story. The, okay, so um, so she was dragging me underneath the vehicle for. Uh, about 50 feet and it was during that time that she was still driving and I was being dragged underneath that I had a feeling of being in two places at once so there was a a, a sensation of my consciousness in my body underneath the vehicle and then I also saw the accident happening from outside so from a point of about I don't know 75 feet or so outside of the the crash um, which kind of freaked me out. I didn't know what that was all about. Um, that At that time, I didn't know what to make of that. And I just eventually just chalked it up to something really, you know, obviously, ooh, that was weird, but I didn't know what to call it at that time and, and uh, just let it go. But uh, finally, um, some bystanders stopped her from driving because they had seen what happened, and um, the paramedics came and they took me off to the ER, and it turned out I had, you know, massive trauma to my spine, and I ended up with, like, 24 bones that were broken in multiple places, mm. um, some internal injuries, you know, a cracked sternum and pelvis, and most of the damage was to my spine and my neck, um, and it was pretty bad. It was I was lucky to actually have survived, um, 
and definitely to have survived with without um, losing my ability to feel my you know legs or arms so there was a good chance that I would be able to recover so you you said that you kind of went outside of your yourself while this was happening right. uh, uh, what what goes through your mind then is that's happening because it's it's got to be frustrating to watch your physical self going through this and, and being aware of it, but not being able to do anything about it. Well, actually, you know, the the really weird thing, uh, at least I thought it was weird at the time, was that, that that consciousness that I had that was outside of my body wasn't frustrated at all. It was a very peaceful, um, loving, compassionate side of me. I, I would call it my soul. And it was... I remember what that part of me was thinking and, and feeling. It was feeling, you know, wow, this is really, uh, you know, a, a pain, painful experience, but it's exactly what needs to happen and everything will be okay. And it was very calm about everything that was happening. So there was no frustration at all. It was meant to be. Um, it's still, though, it, it must be hard to, to go through. I mean, I've seen, just as an example, like one of the, the, the most famous cases of somebody being hit by a car and the way that it's changed them, I think, was, uh, was Stephen King. Because he was, yeah. he was hit, hit by a, by a van and, and he has written about it and, and we see it kind of in his writing and the way that it's impacted him. And I think part of that is because he never really came to terms what happened to him. But it sounds like you were able to come to terms with what was going on pretty much immediately. It, it was. It was a very um, life-changing event from the get-go. I mean, the, I, you know, I did process what happened for, you know, a, a couple of years afterward, but even immediately, like you just said, I felt at peace about everything that was happening, which was really odd because I was never at peace in my life before. <laughs> But it, it's um, it's interesting to me that, you know, this is I, I don't know if like people that get into the categorizations of these things, they might say, well, well, is that really an NDE that you were having, even though you were near death and you did almost die? Or was that more of an out of body experience? Was that would that be something that's more of of having that detachment from self? Uh, to be able to see that. But it sounds like, you know, to me, it was more like you were kind of uh, on your way out of your body. Uh, you were kind of on your way yeah. to another existence and, and, and for whatever reason, just, just were, was able to stick around. Yeah. You know, I've had people debate that. I, I don't try to categorize it because, um, that wasn't the big event that happened anyway, but right. some people call it, um, a, a kind of a small near death experience. Uh, other people call it simply an out of body experience. Uh, I've had a couple of people call it a, um, a bilocation. What you know, whatever it was, it, it, I don't really have it. I don't think there's a really good term for it. I think, you know, the chaplain explained it to me. She said, "Well, you know, I've heard about this before, and you were getting ready to leave your body completely, permanently. You know, you were on your way to die." Right. It's, it, it, I was going to ask if you felt like there was anything that kind of uh, that kind of dragged you back into yourself, or anything that might have pushed you uh, back into yourself, or if it was just a natural. Like one minute you could be outside of yourself and then one minute you were back in your body. Well, actually what dragged me back in was, first of all, thinking about my daughter <laughs> and then 
the second thing was the pain when the, when the accident was had stopped when she had stopped driving and the paramedics came and started kind of fig, trying to figure out what was wrong with me that's when the pain started and that's when I snapped back together with my body at that point um it was the physical sensation of that extreme pain of feeling like I felt like my back was ripped in half um, and and it was that pain I think that brought me back. But in a, in a way, that pain must also, and I'm sure you weren't thinking about it at the time, but that pain must also be, um, uh, it sounds weird to say, but somewhat of a comforting sign because at least it know you mean it know you know you're alive if you're feeling the pain. I I knew I was alive, and but the the fear that I had is the pain was so extreme in my lower back. I. I kid you not, it felt like my body had been ripped into. That's how bad the pain was. And I was really terrified that if I moved the wrong way, that I wouldn't be able to walk. And, and it turns out that, that would have been the case. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the injuries were so bad that that they did require surgery to repair. And that's where the actual NDE happened was during surgery a few days later. And um, well, I was going to say let's let's kind of fast forward to that then. So you you go through this through this accident. Uh, just kind of take us through what you remember um, from getting to from that point into the point where you had the the more intensive NDE. Yeah, so it was you know basically the doctors didn't think I was going to survive the weekend, and so this happened. The accident itself happened on a Friday, and uh, they had tentatively scheduled surgery for the following Monday. So a few days later, but. I, I, my doctors told me later, they didn't tell me at the time, but they told me later that they didn't hadn't actually expected me to, to survive the weekend. Um, so that's why they put off surgery. Um, so it was basically for, you know, the weekend I spent laying flat on my back in the hospital. Um, you know, my family and friends came to visit and kind of sat with me to make sure that I was okay um, on Monday. But but it was really just kind of a boring, pain-filled weekend just laying on my back. And then, um, so surgery, the day of surgery came, and I was really terrified. Uh, I hadn't, I'd had surgeries before, but nothing like this. Uh, I hadn't even broken a bone before in my life, and mm. now, you know, my entire back was shattered. And, so uh, I, uh, they brought me into the OR, and I was absolutely terrified that I wasn't going to make it back out. Um, and as they brought wheeled me into the OR, I had this, because I was completely conscious at that point, um, the, 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 the lights were so bright in the operating room that I had a, a momentary thought of, this is almost like, you know, the pearly gates. <laughs> Well, I was. I mean, it seems like you were still pretty. Uh, you know, you were still of sound mind, even everything that was going on, uh, to be able to process all of this. It seems like you were still relatively sharp um, with your with your mental functions. Yeah, I actually, um, I guess lucky for me or unlucky for me, I don't know which, but I'm allergic to most pain medications, so mm. I wasn't on much pain medication at all. Uh, Which must have been excruciating. So I was pretty lucid <laughs> because I wasn't on narcotics or anything like that. But you're probably uh, wishing that you were with the, with the amount of pain that you must have been in. 
Right. I was uh, hoping that they'd be able to give me something pretty strong, but uh, I was reacting to pretty much everything they gave me. Uh, they did find one eventually that worked um, fairly well, but it, and it, you know, it wasn't a heavy, intensive pain med. But it was, it took the edge off, and it, you know, I was able to stay fairly lucid through all that. Um, and and so I was pretty with it when I went into the OR. You know, they uh, put the, they actually gave me anesthesia via drip in my IV and. Uh, I remember the the anesthesiologist was joking with me as he was, you know, putting the the drug in my in my um, IV, and uh, that was it. Um, I was kind of drifting off at that point. And you know, in a typical surgery, what really happens in a surgery is is they shut down your consciousness to the point almost you're, where you're almost effectively in an induced coma and um, you know you're pretty well shut down and in a normal surgery what you would experience is just blackness or gray you know a gray fog and then you kind of wake up in the recovery room and you know go on about your day but um, what happened to me when when they injected me with the anesthesia I didn't know this at the time but I had a really severe uh, reaction to the anesthesia. The the doctors weren't really weren't freaked out, but um, I lost uh, blood pressure and and heart rate for for a while. I, mean, I didn't know that, but but that's what happened. And uh, what I experienced is I woke up standing up on a hillside hmm. in a in a country setting, <laughs> and there were mountains and trees all around and meadow and um, blue sky, and I was standing. Uh, and that was the startling thing as I was standing up. And, and, and so that's, I knew at that point that something was different. <laughs> so I was going to say that that's got to be if you, you know, it's one thing if you're if you're in a in a fog, if you're in a, a painkiller induced fog uh, going through this process and going through all of this trauma that you had gone through to have something like that. Where, but where you had remained so lucid. Uh, up to the moment of, of of getting anesthesia, I mean, it must have you must have felt pretty sharp and felt like you were actually in this place, as opposed to it just being something that was kind of like a like a, a fog or a haze or a dream. It, it, it you must have felt pretty pretty confident of where you were. Uh, well, I was. It, it it took me, you know, a few what I would say a few moments. It's it's hard to, to explain what time was like because there really wasn't time as we measure it. Um, but I knew immediately that this was not a, a typical surgery, you know, that this was something different because, you know, of all the surgeries I've had with this same medication, it's just, you know, you, you, you go off into anesthesia and you're, it's black and then you wake up um, and you're not really supposed to dream. That's the whole point. They shut down your consciousness with these anesthesia drugs. And part of what they give you in anesthesia, which most people don't realize, is they give you a drug to make you forget. So it's they give you an amnesiac as well as the anesthesia. Oh. So you're typically not supposed to remember anything. Hmm. I never knew yeah. that. Yeah. And then they do that just in case you wake up during surgery. 
They don't want you to remember waking up. <laughs> well, yeah, because then when they give you the questionnaire at the end of your hospital stay, they don't want you to filling out that portion, you know? Right. Like, oh, no, no, I was I was asleep the whole time. That was great. You know, they don't want they don't want you to be like, no, I remember waking up and uh, I remember the doctor tell, swearing at me and telling me to go back to sleep. Right. So, yeah, and, and so you're not really supposed to have consciousness of any kind at all, even dreams or hallucinations when this happens. Um, so I knew that something was different because it was so vivid. And there was a moment where I thought, wow, this is so real that I, I began to wonder if I had died. Right. Because uh, by that point, you got to be wondering if, you know, you aren't, uh, you know, in, in, in heaven at that point. Yeah, and, you know, even as an I mean, I, I, granted, I was an atheist when I was wheeled into the ER, you know, a couple of days prior, but I had been raised in, in a faith-based household, so I knew all the, I kind of knew the stuff, you know. I knew uh, people talked about heaven and angels and all that stuff, so I knew about all that, but I hadn't any belief in it. And so I began to think about, wow, I wonder if I died. Right, but you're thinking it's it's heaven, but it's heaven as a construct. You know, it's not necessarily a, a physical place or state of being that you believe in, but it's it's the idea of what you're expected to to believe when when you die. It's it's where you expect your mind would go. I would I would assume. Well, at that point, you know, I was still kind of the scientist, I guess, and I really didn't know what to make of where I was. I didn't have a term for it. Um, I, I tried that. In fact, it was interesting, even. After the experience, I continued to try not to put terms to it um, unless it made a lot of sense. So I just accepted the fact that I was in some kind of a state of being. It, it, it looked like a place, so I kind of rolled with it. Um, but I questioned it. I questioned, you know, why am I here? Because I don't believe in any of this. That was what I, the question I asked was, why am I here? Because I don't believe in any of this. And, and sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say then there was an answer, oh. <laughs> which surprised me. Well, what was the answer? <laughs> the answer it was, and it came kind of like a, not really a, a loud voice, but yet it was a, a very strong voice from everywhere that said, you are my child. You are a part of me. This is your home. Welcome home. And it was at that moment that I felt uh, love and acceptance for who I was. And it was it was like this force that was coming in from outside of me. Um, I mean, was it like an auditory voice? Was it something that you felt? Was it something that was uh, kind of coming from, from within you? It came from everywhere outside of me. Okay, outside of you. It, it felt like it was from all over, not not a pinpoint, mm -hmm. but like from all around. So it wasn't and somebody speaking to you. It was it was the all of everything speaking to you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you were the only one in this place when when this was going on. Nobody else came to 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 visit you. Nobody else came, uh, or, or there was nobody that you recognized around you. Not immediately. There was a, another being that came up in, in a few moments, but at that time, 
when when I heard this voice or this you know this message um, that you're home, there was no one with me. But at the same time, when I heard that voice and I felt accepted into this place, I knew immediately that that was home. I remembered that this is home and that place we call earth, that physical life was really the dream. And it was odd that I had that recognition at that time that, oh, we've got everything backwards, that that earthly life is the dream. <laughs> and this was, this ex- whatever this experience was, this existence that I was having, that was our true reality. Um, so that's, I didn't, that's where we're supposed to be, is where you were. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it felt like, in a way, that that this, there was this sense that I had that this physical reality here on Earth was a, a form of reality, but at the same time like a simulation. That's the best word I can come up with to describe it. it more than a dream, more like a simulation. Mm-hmm. Um, very valuable. It has a, we have a reason for being here. There's purpose to it, but at the same time, it's, it's like a simulation. It's like it's like a training. Yeah. It's 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 a training to make us into kind of better, better, more enlightened beings. Right. You know, some people call it a classroom. That's a good term too. Um, yeah. Um, so I knew at that point that that I had had it flipped, <laughs> and that a lot of what I believed that as, as an adult was wrong. You know. Well, you, you you had alluded to it. You mentioned the fact that you were a scientist, and we really didn't get too much into your background. But is is that what you were prior? You know, was that your your uh, your career beforehand? Yeah, I was. Yeah, back and forth in the sciences. So I did a lot of scientific and technical writing um, because I was a really good writer, and I did a lot of writing for the public and you know training material and that kind of thing. Um, at the time that the accident happened, I was working for. Um, a company in Boulder, Colorado, that was a remote sensing company. So they worked with satellite data and sam- satellite imagery. And um, they actually had some products, some software products to do, you know, uh, analysis of satellite data. Mm-hmm. But I was a trainer and a technical and scientific writer for them at that point. So I was helping train uh, scientists in our software and in these processes that we had um, doing some analysis as well, but mostly um, just training other geoscientists. And so, I mean, at least as, as you're, as you're going through this, I mean, you have an, an analytical eye, you know, you have an analytical right. mind. So as you're going through this process and, and in this other place, you know, it's, it's not like you are, as you said, being an atheist and, and having this background. You know, you're going through this from a, from a rational perspective more than a, a belief standpoint. Because if, if a true believer was going through something like this, then I think that they would automatically make that assumption of, you know, I've, I've reached heaven. Uh, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is what I would expect to happen. And then you would actually have a lot of doubt as to whether or not when, when you came back, you would actually have a lot of doubt as to whether or not you actually did experience that place or if you were just meeting your lifelong expectation. Whereas with you, you had no expectation going into this. 
Yeah, actually, my only expectation was, was that there was absolutely nothing. You know, that there was no, that consciousness did not survive the physical body. Um, the, the belief I had was that consciousness was produced by the physical body and that was it. So when the physical body met it then, that was the end of consciousness. Um, and what I realized, you know, through this whole process of this experience and even after, that's not the case. Um, but, yeah, I went into it, and, and I was very careful about not, like I said before, not naming things. I just let things roll um, and allowed things to happen. I, and I came, I came into it just like a kid, in a, in meaning I would go, I, I was there just kind of sucking it all in and just experiencing it, asking questions too, but but really just allowing the experience to soak in, you know, just to try to remember everything that I could. And because also, too, because you're looking at it from a perspective of, um, you you know, I, I'm going to assume, uh, just not to speak for you, but as you're going through all this, you're going to want to, uh, if you do get back to your regular life, you're going to want to analyze where it was that you went. Or did you think at that time, like, this is where I'm going to be forever now? Well, I, I didn't think I was going to come back. <laughs> so you would, I didn't you, want to. Okay. Um, uh, the, it was so amazing to be there that, and I didn't have any, and the thing was that I didn't have any physical pain, and I didn't want to go back to the physical body because it was so painful. Um, I didn't want to deal with the, the physicalness, the you know, healing and all that. Uh, so I had it in my brain that I wasn't going to, I mean, I was like, I'm not going back there. But when, um, after a few moments of just, you know, experiencing that voice and, and kind of feeling that lo the love and, and compassion that was coming into me, the, uh, that other being, the other woman, walked up to me and told me that she was going to be my teacher or my guide and help me learn what I needed to learn so that I could go back to my life on earth. And I kind of had a bad reaction to that. <laughs> because you wanted um, to stay? Because I, I wanted to stay. I wanted I knew I knew at that point that this was kind of like the first step in the, the beginnings of what we would call the afterlife. Now, the funny thing is that I, I no longer call it the afterlife, but I knew that this was like step one in the transition to an afterlife. And I, I wanted to just keep going so that I could go be with my family and friends who had passed on, you know, before me. And when she said, well, you're going to go back to your, your life, I started to, I didn't want to go back yeah, it, and, it, well I was gonna say when 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 that happened when she told you that did you in this place did you did you argue with her at all at all or oh yeah <laughs> how was that received well it's funny because she was very patient with it I, I think which what she explained is that she and I had been friends well before I was born into this life so she knew me and um 
knew my personality. I, I can I, I can be very strong-willed sometimes. And so a few times I did argue with her. This was one of them. I'm like, I don't really want to go back there. And, and she completely stopped the argument cold when she said, well, you already agreed to go back. And I... Kind of, that kind of took me off guard, and I said, well, I don't remember agreeing to that. And she said, well, let me show you. And she showed me this, almost like a movie, playing in front of me of me and the beings that I would call my spiritual team or spiritual friends. And I was agreeing to, to take on you know, certain responsibilities in this particular life before I was born into this life I'm in now. Oh, so is, um, this is pre-birth you're talking about, this meeting. Right, yeah, yeah. But in this in this flashback that you could see, um, or in this, in this uh, for lack of a better term, this movie that they're showing, that she was showing you, were you, you? Like, did you look physically like yourself? Uh, and did, And how do these beings that you were talking to look? We all looked like um, uh, light, kind of like light orbs, but elongated, um, maybe three to four feet tall, light, almost like pillars of light, but but more egg shaped, almost. Mm -hmm. It's hard to describe, um, like an elongated egg shape of just energy and light, um, and and I I knew the individuals. Because we just we knew each other, I, I could tell the ener almost I guess you would say the energy signatures of each being was a little bit different, and so I could tell who was who, um, but and I could see me and I knew who I was and I knew who everybody else was. So, but we didn't we weren't like humans. But when you saw this, you know, it clicked in your mind that this was something that indeed had happened. I remembered it as soon as she showed it to okay. me. It was like, oh yeah, <laughs> okay, now I remember. <laughs> so, and, and that's got to be uh, earth shattering unto itself because now all of a sudden you have to believe in, in I, I guess, uh, a soul at that point. Yeah, I mean, it was very um, apparent to me that there was some kind of an energy being that I was it's at some level I was some kind of an energy being and we all I mean we all are we all have that but but to see that and to see to see those souls of all of my friends um, was pretty startling you know um, from somebody who hadn't believed in any of this just a few moments before so we, we have a few questions from the chat room uh, that I, I want to ask you about this experience. Uh, one question was, was the voice and the feeling that you were experienced, was that something like a, a blanket of love that wrapped around you? And uh, and was there any kind of a strong vibration during this uh, experience? It was. It felt, like, it felt like I was being held in uh big arms like not crushed but 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 hugged like or carried in in big loving arms and it wasn't really a vibration that i felt but it was an energy like warmth like it was more than warmth but the closest the closest i can describe it is if you're on like a cold winter's day and 
on, like on the East Coast when the wind's coming off the Atlantic and you're standing in front of a really warm fire and you feel the heat going through you, that's what this love felt like in this energy. It felt like it was just permeating me like like warmth would permeate me and it's a, and it's a warmth that draws you closer like you want to you know we're on the east coast ourselves so we know exactly what you're talking about where it like draws you into wanting to to be closer to it and absorb more of it and it almost gets to the point where uh you can't get enough of of what it is there isn't enough there to fill you with the with the need that you have for it yeah it's an, it's very magnetic like it's like you know a magnet pulling you know, piece of metal to it. Uh, very, you can't. You don't want out of it. You you don't want to leave it because it's just so strong and so appealing. Um, and it's and I knew that would be hard to give up. So she showed you this this movie this this flashback to you agreeing to to go back. Uh, was that the end of of this experience? Or once once you realized that you had made that agreement. No, that was just the beginning. Oh. <laughs> it was from there uh, we spent, and, and if I were to put this into uh, earthly terms, it would. It felt like the amount of time she spent with me, the amount of stuff that she taught me, probably on this planet would take two to three months to impart that knowledge on someone. Um, what she did is she took me to various different places through this landscape, you know, up into the mountains, into valleys. You know, we, we went to some ponds and lakes and rivers. Um, and at different places, she would teach me different concepts. Um, and at one point, uh, the very the most visual, and well, there are some really amazing visuals, but w one of them that comes to mind still is we went up into the mountains to this really beautiful little pond, and she asked me to to kneel down next to the pond, and I did, and she said, "Well, touch the surface of the pond," and I kind of at that point I. I said, well, you know, I know what's going to happen. It's, there's going to be ripples. And she said, well, just touch the pond anyway. Just do it. So I did it. And and I sat back on kind of on my heels and looked at the surface of the pond. And on the surface of the pond were all over, besides the ripples, obviously, that were going out from where I touched the surface, there were little... I call them little YouTube videos all over the top of the pond, little uh, snippets of videos or uh, films of my life, little parts of my life where I had made a decision. And some of those events or some of those decisions were positive ones where I had, you know, done something good. And some of them were times when I had made a poor decision or done something kind of negative. And she allowed me not only to see those, but she used this as a teaching tool for the power that I have in each and every choice that I make in my life and, and how impactful that choice that I'm making in that moment, how impactful that can be on other people around me. And she allowed me to experience not only seeing a visual of that event, whether it be positive or negative, but I was also able to feel the emotions of the people that I was interacting with. Hmm. 
Um, so in one example, I had unintentionally um, and, and unintentionally hurt someone's feelings. And not only was I allowed to see that, but I could feel that other person's hurt and how what I said, how that hurt them. And I tell you what, from there on out, my sense of compassion for other people and my awareness of how I impact other people just went through the roof. Um, I think that was the most powerful teaching moment during that whole, you know, two to three months I was there. And and that must have been, uh, you know, just a, a way for you to visualize and to see the ripple effects of each one of those decisions. But did the negative decisions that you made, was there any differentiation aside from just, you know, you knowing that it was something that you made a choice that you regretted or, or what have you? Was there any kind of judgment that was being passed uh, in what she was showing you on those decisions? Or was it more just seeing how they all tied into one another? Like so the, the point being, like, are, are you learning that some of those negative things are just part of the same process and, and they have to be made? It, yeah, in fact, so the way the way that I reacted to that is a, as soon as I saw how how my negative actions affected other people, I felt shame. I felt ashamed of myself and ashamed of my decisions. And she, she could tell that I was feeling that. And she said, this is not a, a tool to judge you. This is a tool for you to learn from. Don't go into the shame because we know that you're there to make decisions and you make mistakes because you're human. But this is a way for you to learn from these mistakes that you made. Don't feel shame for them. We're not here to judge. We're here to teach. And so it, it, in the end, um, does that help you kind of overcome regrets that you might have had? I mean, obviously you came away with more, more sympathy and more compassion for the people in your life, but did you also learn not to kind of uh, – wallow in your regret and realizing that uh, it was all part of the process and that, that even though you might have thought that you made a, a poor choice then, in the end, it's all part of the, the bigger journey. Yeah, you know, it part of part of this was, the out, part of the outcome of this was a lot of self-forgiveness and a lot of self-compassion, you know, realizing that, yes, in the past I wasn't aware of a lot of my actions and you know what? I forgive myself for that. That doesn't mean that, that you don't have to make amends. So I came back wanting to make amends to those people that I, I hurt, hurt. It wasn't, I wasn't told that I had to, but I wanted to. And I wanted to try to make some things right as much as I could. Better, but at the same time, I knew that I was just human, and yeah, mistakes were part of the process. Now that I know better, I can do better. You know, um, letting go of, I guess, the attachment to um, unforgiveness for myself has been really freeing. You know, knowing that I'm doing the best I can. 
in each and every moment. And now that I, like I said, now that I know better, I can do a lot better. Well, I mean, that's got to be something that, you know, in, in this time that you are, are learning from this individual there, uh, it's, it's got to be reassuring to know that in the end, the way that you have lived is really just a combination of different choices and not anything that has been, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's not like you chose to live in a negative way. It's not like you chose to live uh, in a way that you should regret. It's just it's just life, and it's just Great. figuring out exactly what the lessons are to be learned in each thing that happens. It, there's there's no waking up every day and saying to yourself, "I have to be this way, or else I'm not living my life the fullest." It's waking up each day and learning that whatever that day brings you is part of that journey of life. Yeah, it's all good. And as long as I'm following and or I'm being true to who I am and what I feel in my heart is the right thing to to do and be that day, then it's good. You know, and as long as I'm trying my best um to be you know, positive and and helpful to other people, kind and compassionate to others and myself, you know, that's a good thing. What are some of the other lessons that uh, that you learned during this during this training period with this with this individual? Oh, so let's see. So it kind of uh, goes back to basics for me: love and gratitude. Especially for me, um, gratitude because at that time I wasn't feeling very grateful for much in my life. <laughs> but one of the things that she taught me was, you know, gra- the purest form of gratitude is is another it's just another form of love it's a love and appreciation for other people for what we have in our lives and she i think she said if you can only if you only can do one thing and practice gratitude that's going to be plenty enough um you know as a spiritual practice in your life but it it centers you in looking at the blessings in your life rather than focusing in on all the things that are going wrong. Um, it re it reorients your brain and your soul into that, which is working for me right now. Um, and you know, the more you focus on the things that are working or that are going along really well or that are okay. Uh, when you're focusing on the blessings, the rest of it really just doesn't matter all that much. And and so, so you, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, uh, you know, you were talking about this being a matter of of months that it felt like that you were learning all of this and and absorbing all of this. Was there um, was it lessons to be learned every day? Was there was there uh, almost like did you have any sense of that this was going to um, wrap up or you know you know was there any kind of a sense of when you had felt like maybe you had learned enough and maybe asked if now was the time to go back, or is there just a, a quest, a, a, a thirst to want to learn as much as you could during this experience? For me, it was a, it was more like I wanted to just learn, learn, learn. And that's not what she had in mind. There were certain specific things that she had in mind to teach me, it turns out. Um, I just wanted to learn as much as I could. And I didn't have any specific agenda for myself. I just wanted to keep learning. 
uh, I still had it in the back of my mind that I wasn't going to go back to my life. Even though I knew that I had agreed to it, I was still hoping that I would go on and, and fully die. You know, my body would fully die and I would go on to whatever came. Um, but but she had some specific things that she wanted to teach me, um, you know, about love, gratitude, um, how we're all connected to each other, the, just the the amount of connections that there are amongst all of us, um, that how important it is to be true to yourself and, and to listen to your intuition or some people call it listening to your heart. Some people call it, you know, being true to yourself, but honoring you as a unique individual. Um, but a lot of what she taught was centered around how much power that I have in my ability to choose, you know, each individual moment in my life. I, I have choices in each moment, and a lot of what she spent time on with me was really the intricacies of choice and how I can best use that in my life here on Earth and how important it is to keep that in mind when I came back. Well, and I just I apologize for asking a question that's kind of out of sequence. It's something that I should have asked earlier, but it's popped up a couple times in the chat room. Uh, when exactly did this happen? What year did this take place? This was uh, January sixth of twenty fourteen. Okay, so uh, just just for posterity, because uh, I should have asked that at the beginning, but uh, I didn't. So now you're saying that in every moment of life we have choice. So you're saying that there's. There's nothing that's an inevitability. Is there nothing that we are powerless uh, against? There's no, there's no fate controlling us. It's, it's kind of our, our lives are, are just a, a chain reaction of our decisions. For the most part, yes, that's that's the way that she explained it to me. However, there's a however in there. Many of us come into this life, as she explained to me. Many of us come into this life with certain things that we want to experience or certain things like me, you know, that we agree to do. Um, and, you know, like this this car, well, car versus bike accident was something that I had agreed to experience. Um, many of us come in wanting to learn about certain things. Uh, we might want to experience specific types of events or... Um, I don't know, we might come in wanting to be, and it sounds crazy, but we might want to come in and experience what it's like to, um, you know, live in a household of, uh, I hate to say it this way, but abusive parents or in a in a kind of a negative household as children to, to experience what that's like. Um, I'm not saying that everybody out there who's in this, in that circumstance has chosen that. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that some of us do choose that experience. Um, some don't. But part of the learning is, okay, so I've, I've put myself in this experience, whatever it happens to be. How am I going to deal with that? When am I, I going to learn from that? And how, if I want to get out, going to get out of that experience? How am I going to change my life? or even the lives of other people around me. Um, some people may 
choose to come into a family that's been, you know, um, maybe there's been a lot of violence in that family for many, many generations, then choose to come into that family to, to change it. So they've come in and, and you know, I'm going to come into that family and I'm going to make a difference in that family and I'm going to break the cycle of this violence that's happening. So we can make choices like that when before we're born and we come in and, and have these things that we want to experience or do. Um, but a lot of what we, we have that ability every day to make choices and to, you know, she even told me that I could, when I came back into my life on earth, um, I could choose to tell people about this experience or not. It was up to me. And um, so we, we do have a lot of power in our lives. Please, please don't take this in a, in a flippant way. Does that mean then that you chose to be hit by the SUV on, on your bicycle? Yep. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't. No, it's okay to, to ask that question because it's really a good question. Um, it's I, I, the way that the way that it had come about. The what I had agreed to do is there were um, three points in my life before this accident where I could have changed my path in life to be more spiritual, and the the agreement that I had made with my spiritual friends or my spiritual team was that if I had missed those opportunities, you know, one, two, and three, whatever they were, if I had missed those opportunities, then at that point, then I would agree to have this accident happen. Hmm. And of course I missed all those opportunities. I, I, I know what they were. Um, and I just totally blew them off at the time. Um, so I, that I had chosen, I had chosen, you know, if, if that was, the, if, if those times, if I don't choose to take a spiritual path in my life, then yes, let's do this accident. Was then the pain that you went through as a result of the accident, was that any kind of, of, of penance for missing those earlier choices or was it just a, a byproduct of, of what happened? Yeah, the physical pain was just a byproduct of what happened, but the interesting thing is that when I came back, you know, into my body after, you know, the NDE, after they brought me back out of surgery, I actually had very little pain. Um, wow. She had done a, uh, a, what I call a spiritual healing on my, my energy body or my soul before she sent me back. And when I came back, um, I think it was, let's see, the surgery was Monday, so by Wednesday morning I was refusing pain medication because I didn't need it anymore. Wow. And the doctors were, like, completely freaking out, like, you need to take some pain meds. I said, no, I really don't need it. <laughs> I'm feeling fine. So the, um, the question, there's a question in the chat room uh, before we, we uh, go beyond what happened with your near-death experience. Uh, the question is, if you knew who this being was that was teaching you, that if deep down inside you knew who it was and, and, and that if maybe it was a future version of yourself? Actually, the, the, I, knew, I knew who it was, and it was a, one, a, a being that had been a, a friend of mine for a very long time, just not in this particular lifetime. Okay. 
So just another another soul, if you will, that had been crossing paths with you uh, throughout the course of your existence. Right. Yeah. You you could call it um, like a spiritual guide or a spiritual teacher or something. But she'd been a friend of mine for a very long time. And we'll get into this, uh, of course, coming up. But is she still is she still around you? Do you still feel her in your life on a day to day basis? Whenever, yeah, whenever I need to call on her, she's there. Um, and not so much day to day anymore, but certainly um, a couple of times a week at least, I check in with her and and uh, mostly just to say hello and thanks for being there. But um, I, I try to do a lot of things on my own these days, and then when I need help, I call on you know my my bigger team to help me out, including her. So now this was a near-death experience. So during the course of the surgery and uh, as you were being uh, fixed up by the, by the doctors uh, here on this realm, on this plane of existence, you never technically died. There was, there was no issue where you were physically dead. I was. I mean, it did, you know, the whole, the whole concept of NDEs and death is kind of fuzzy. So I wasn't right. flatlined for ver- for a long, long time, although it did happen. Um, so it it was moments, you know, less than, I, I guess, less than a minute or so um, that I was technically dead, you know, heart heart rate stopped. But, um, you know, that's, it's kind of a fuzzy thing. And we don't really, if, you know, in the sciences and consciousness studies, for sure, we don't really know at what point, you know, where do we call the line here? What, what's true death and what's not? It's kind of a gray area. So my body, I would say my body was in serious distress um, and verging on permanent death. It was kind of going back and forth between the two realms, for sure. So I talked about this with my physician afterward, and, you know, he he uh, has gone on record and, and said that what I experienced was a real, true near-death experience. But he also told me that he's seen these types of things happen many times, even if people don't fully go into, like, cardiac arrest or they don't fully uh, flatline. So they might have uh, a period of super low blood pressure or some other, you know, uh, medical distress that can prompt, basically prompt their souls to leave their bodies for a time and then come back. So in his, you know, in his professional opinion, it doesn't, you don't necessarily have to flatline for 10 minutes before you have one of these things. It can happen to people who are, in any one of a number of states of, of physical medical distress. And, and you describe this experience, uh, this, this journey that you undertook, these teachings is taking what felt like months, but in actuality, I'm assuming that it wasn't any longer than it took them to perform the surgery, so probably, what, a matter of hours? Yeah, the whole surgery itself took about two hours from start to finish. And so that's really like the, the maximum amount of time that you could have been gone. Right. Yeah. And, and w- so, kind of walk me through when you're coming out of out of the surgery and when you're coming out of the anesthesia. Like, what w- what were you feeling when you came back into consciousness in your body? I was feeling totally lost. 
So I woke up in the, in the recovery room. I was literally screaming for God, what I called God, and this woman, because I, I missed them already. As soon as I woke up, I was panicked. It was like uh, almost like a little child, like a two-year-old child. If you get if a two-year-old kid gets separated from a parent, like in a grocery store or something, that's kind of what I felt like. Oh my God, I'm here all by myself again. Where is so everybody? She, she gave you no and warning I, that it was I time woke to go up back. Screaming for um, this person that I had been with. She didn't warn you ahead of time that it was time to go back. It just it just happened. Well, she told me it was, she she uh, we got to a point where she said, "Well, it's time for you to go back to your body now." And I was starting to beg and plead with her again that I wanted to stay, and she just kind of sent me back at that point. Okay. <laughs> and that's when I woke up uh, in the in the uh, recovery room. So there was probably some grief process of of leaving. Uh, where you were and, and coming back into your body, at what point did you start to think, okay, now I've got to take all these lessons that I was taught and, and put them into action? That took uh, probably a few days. I mean, the first the first thing that happened was, well, I at first I woke up thinking, what in the world was that? Did that really happen? It, it took me until the next morning to really let it sink in. And the next morning I was in my room in the hospital and the chaplain walked in. Uh, and at that point I was grateful that she was there. Now originally when I was brought into the ER, I didn't want to see a chaplain because I was an atheist. You know, I didn't want a religious person in my room. And that uh, bothered me. So when she walked in, I was so grateful and I explained to her what had happened, and she said, well, you you know, you died on the operating table, and you had what we call a near-death experience, and it was real. She, you know, we talked about it for probably, I don't know, half an hour, 45 minutes or something. And she, you know, she said, it's, it was a real experience. Don't doubt what happened to you. This is a real thing, and you were about to die for real. And you were visited by, you know, a spiritual guide of some kind. And um, talking with her helped me understand the reality of what I experienced. And then over the next few days, I had that sense like you like you just described of, oh, my gosh, now I have to actually, like, do something with this. <laughs> so even coming back, the, the transition from atheist to believer wasn't immediate. You still had to kind of, uh, you know, comprehend what had happened and and kind of make sense of what you had gone through. It, yeah, right. It, it took me a little while. It took me, you know, a few days. I mean, I knew I knew I was changed immediately. Um, in fact, my friends and family who came in. Now, granted, I didn't tell anybody about this for a while, except the the chaplain. Um, I was still nervous about telling my family and friends, but. Um, you know, the, I, one of my friends came in, like uh, I think it was on the next the next day or something, and she said, "Wow, you're really at peace and you're glowing." And she said, "Are you on meds?" I'm like, "No, I'm not on any pain meds at all." She said, "I've never seen you like this before. There's something really different about you." So my friends were noticing that there was something different about me, um, even though I hadn't fully like processed what had happened yet. 
And so now you are, uh, as you're processing this, at some point you become, uh, you, you know, what, what she had told you, that you had that choice to make about whether or not you were going to talk about this and share this or whether you're going to keep it to yourself. When did that decision come about and was it an easy decision to make? It was it was terrifyingly hard to make that decision. Um, at first, I told my my family, my two sisters, were the first really to hear about it, um, and then I told some very close friends and and close family members what had happened. But interestingly, I didn't tell my daughter for quite a while because I didn't want her to freak out, but. But I did tell, um, you know, adult family members who are very close to me. And then I kept it to myself for a while. But what I did, as soon as I could hold a pen again and write, I started taking notes. I started writing down my experience in a notebook before, you know, before anybody else got to me, before I read about anybody else's experiences. I wanted to write down my experience just fresh and and it took it took a while to do that because it was a lot to, a lot of stuff happened in the, that time um, and then eventually I I felt like I wanted to share it with a slightly wider group of people so I started blogging about it and I honestly thought like maybe five people in the world would read this blog <laughs> I didn't think much of it and it turned out a lot of people really wanted to to you know, learn more about what I had experienced. So over the course of, I don't know, the next year I blogged about it and um, there was just so much to write about that I decided to put it in a book so that it would be easier for people to follow it through, um, you know, from start to finish. So that's kind of how the book evolved. Um, But it took a long time. I was really scared at first because... I knew that coming forward with what had happened would change my professional life. And um, I lost some scientist friends because of it, but, um, you know, that's that's part of life. They weren't ready to, to embrace. Um, it just wasn't part of what they wanted to experience in their lives, so um, they, couldn't, they couldn't make that part of the journey with me. Well, I mean, it must be... Um... Even though you've learned from that training kind of what all these choices mean to each individual person, but it must also be frustrating when you're coming back and and knowing the answers to these things and trying to share it with others who just can't accept it. Uh, And you know that they're supposed to be on their own path and they're supposed to be kind of learning through their own decision making. But it's almost like, hey, you know, you're you're taking a test, but I'm I'm trying to give you all the answers ahead of time. Yeah, at first it was a little frustrating for me. It's it's not now because I've really, I understand in a very deep way that everybody is on their own path and that it's okay because it isn't up to me, you know, to caretake someone else, to make someone else's decisions. I can only show them uh, or give them my my viewpoint or my my thoughts and feelings or what I had learned. But in the end, it's really, you know, their journey, and that's that's okay. But at first it was hard. Um, because, you know, I came back realizing that we make this life so much harder than it needs to be in a lot of cases. Um, it, it doesn't 
and, and oftentimes the dis- in, in even me, I mean, I did this when I was before my NDE. I made things much more dramatic and more difficult than they really needed to be. Um, and but at the same time, you know, it's. Um, I guess I, I kind of get some enjoyment out of just seeing all the different lives that people lead and all the different decisions people make. And, you know, I kind of look at my own life differently now, too, from a much wider perspective. But but I think it is a little frustrating. I think we lost you a little bit there. But, I mean, that is that, that has got to be the hard part is to now come down. I mean, it's... It, it makes it easier to know that making all these decisions are part of the process, but it also must make it frustrating to know what lies beyond this and having to go through the minutia and the day-to-day of, of everyday life kind of waiting to get back to that point. So, yes, you did come back with this great message to have to spread to others and this opportunity to apply it in your own life, but at the same time, there's going to be a lot of little things that now you have to wonder Gee, you know, what what does this really mean in the grand scheme of things now that I know that there is a bigger picture? It, yeah, at first, it was really funny because um, I, I didn't want, I mean, it was like, gosh, I mean, I actually have to, like, cook dinner and eat. I mean, just even the <laughs> right. little things like taking care of the... I, I think, minimal. Oh, so you were dropping out on us a little bit there. Yeah, so I was, um, so, you know, just taking care of the body, taking care of the things in my life, like doing laundry, it, it, just the basics were like, really? I have to actually do this now? Right. And, and, and it's, uh, but at the same time, I mean, are you looking to find the little, the little meanings, the little hidden meanings that might be in some of these mundane things? Well, and that's part of it. I mean, the whole, the whole message is that, that life is life. It's all part of the journey. And, you know, it's, it's a, it, 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 I became really, I guess like within six months to a year, I passed all that. And I realized that it's just every day here's a blessing, even though, yeah, I have to get up and, you know, today I got to do the laundry or, you know, do this chore, that chore, you know, pay my taxes or whatever. Um, just, those are kind of like the things I have to do in order to live the blessing of being here and fully experiencing the joy of all of that that's around us. I mean, it's an incredible experience to be here on this planet. Well, we, and, we said that you've gone from being an atheist to a believer, but have you uh, subscribed to a particular uh, organized belief system now that you're a believer did you join a particular church or how do you express your um, how do you uh, express your belief and observe your belief in, in your day-to-day life now well I'm pretty um, as far as other people go I'm very tolerant of anybody else's you know beliefs and religions for me I go to um, a couple of different churches I don't go to one in particular and I also I'm very open to learning about other religions as well. But I do go to a Christian church because that's kind of how I was raised and it feels comfortable. And I kind of like a lot of the things that, you know, this, you know, that Jesus taught. 
But at the same time, that may not be for everybody, and it's not up to me, you know, to judge how, what other people's paths in life are. That's just the one that I've chosen uh, for myself because it feels, you know, comfortable for me right now. Um, at the same time, you know, a big part of it is, you know, non-judgment. And, and I was told specifically not to judge, you know, our to, um, you know, spiritual belief that's theirs. Right, because I think the, the, the question that a lot of people have is for somebody like yourself that has gone and and learned uh, from the experience that you've had, the a lot of people would want to ask you, well, then what is the one true religion? What is the right <laughs> thing to believe? And, and I think in the end, they're all right. They're all basically yeah. worshiping something greater than themselves. The, the, the real problems are just you know, man-made concepts. It's just things that we fight about amongst ourselves that have nothing to do with the bigger picture. Exactly. In fact, um, you know, my, my spiritual teacher there had said, cause I did ask about that. And she said, well, there isn't really one true human religion per se. Um, as long as it's love, you know, love, compassion, kindness, and that whatever it is that you, choose to participate in is based on that um but it isn't up to you to choose someone else's path for him or her you know you basically the way i came out of it is i realized you know i've got a lot on my plate as it is i don't have enough time in my life to to tell other people what to do i'm it's you know i've got a, a, enough in my on my own um plate to deal with you know, just being a spiritual person, being loving and kind and compassionate. And I want to focus on, you know, myself and my family. Um, and, you know, I think we can all, the thing is, I wish, you know, that's the one thing that has been frustrating for me is there is no reason why we can't all get along mm-hmm. and be tolerant of each other's quirkiness and differences and different beliefs and different thought processes. Um and just be, for me, it's just a matter of being tolerant and, and loving for what other people are choosing in their lives and celebrating the differences. Well, it's it sounds like you certainly learned that there was uh, an, another place beyond this and that there was a, a greater story that's being told that we're just living part of here on Earth. But um, we haven't really touched on this outside of that voice coming from kind of everywhere all at once. Is is there a God in what you were, in what you had learned, and, and is that God involved in our daily lives? Well, I would call I, I, I hesitate to use the word God. I, I mean, I do personally use God, but I also use words like the divine, um, the divine consciousness, universal consciousness, because I don't. Again, I I don't know what term to use. It doesn't the the term god for me has a lot of baggage associated with it for what i experienced was more of a universal divine consciousness that was much bigger than our concept of a guy a guy with a beard sitting on a cloud right. um which is kind of how i was taught about god um it was much grander much more loving much more compassionate much bigger um, than anything that I had ever learned about in school and, and in church when I was a kid. 
So for me, like universal divine consciousness really is the best term, although that's kind of a mouthful. Well, we always hear that, you know, uh, when things go wrong, uh, I mean, you, even when good things happen, but mostly when things go wrong, we hear, well, you know, it's it's part of God's plan. And I think it's hard for people to accept that, especially where you're talking about how we have these choices that impact where we go uh, and, and, and where our life progresses to based on every decision that we make. I think it's it's a coping mechanism for a lot of people to, to say something like that. It's not mm-hmm. a fact that God has this plan in place and is dictating everything that we do. It's just something that we, we use to reassure ourselves when something goes not according to the plan that we put into place for ourselves. Right. Yeah. You know, a lot of, a lot of what, a lot of what, she, what I was, what was explained to me was, you know, we've made a, we've made a lot of these choices, not just as individuals, but as a society, and as a, a global culture, if you will, um, that has gotten us into some messes. And, you know, basically, she said, don't lay that on God. You know, that's a lot of, a lot of these choices, a lot of these places that we find ourselves in right now. That's a result of many human decisions and. You know, it's up to us to get get ourselves out of them. Um, you know, there may be some instances in individual lives or or maybe on a global scale where something is, you know, divinely, either divinely inspired or divinely created or whatever. But a lot of what we experience as a society is the product of our own decisions. I would be remiss if I didn't ask this because at our heart, as much as we like to talk about a variety of different topics, but at our heart, this show, Spooky South Coast, is a paranormal show. Mm-hmm. And so I would have to ask you, knowing what you know then, uh, are we able to communicate with spirits, with those who have passed on? Are we able to interact with ghosts? Is this something that's happening or is this something that we're um, kind of falsely identifying as being uh, some of these folks who have passed on into this other realm where you had found yourself? Well, I think for sure that that a lot of people can't, absolutely can communicate with, you know, what you might call the other side or people who have passed on or, you know, ghosts, ghosts or, or, you know, errant spirits or whatever. I would guess that some of it is pro- it probably isn't real, but the majority of it likely is. Um, what one of the things that that my guide taught me was that we are never alone when we're here in the physical that we're always surrounded by those who have gone before us so we're, we're never separated from our loved ones ever they're always here with us they can listen they can hear us when we talk to them um so they're really, they don't, from the other side, they're, they don't see that there's a separation like we experience it. Um, so there absolutely can be communication. So, I mean, generally, uh, one of my co-hosts who would be here with me, Stephanie Burke, she's not here tonight, but um, she's a, a psychic medium, and, and she has the ability to kind of tap in and and communicate with spirits and and they come to her and she can see them and and mm-hmm. uh, they actually look as real as anybody else uh does to her when she encounters them when she experiences them so is that um a matter of her being able to kind of 
view those that are around us, like what you're saying, and and because it's it, people always ask me, listen, if ghosts are real, why can't they answer any of those bigger questions for us? Why why when we ask a, a, a ghost a question using some of our technology, do we get back answers that have you know nothing to do with what we're asking, or or maybe we'll get you know. Uh, you know, can you tell us your name and then tell us their name? But they never really answer the bigger questions for us in life. And, and mediums are never able to get the meaning of life from ghosts. What is what would be the reason for that? Is it because we're not ready to know those answers yet? I think there might, you know, it depends, I would guess this is just me guessing here. Right. Um, there might be a few reasons. It, it could be that there are some spirits or ghosts that are stuck and haven't completely gone back to merge with the light, if you will, and they're living in a kind of a more limited, um, not fully connected state. So their, their consciousness might not be connected to the, to the bigger uh, universal consciousness. Um, some of it may, you know, may not be real communication. I mean, I've certainly experienced that with some mediums where it really wasn't real communication. And, and in many instances, um, we're not ready to hear it. I mean, even Mer my guide in, in heaven or whatever you want to call that place um, wasn't allowed to talk about certain things with me because she said it would be too much for you to deal with. You know, you've got enough on your plate to deal with as it is. Um, and but some of these concepts, I mean, some of the things that she told me were pretty big, were pretty a big, a pretty big deal. Um, you know, future events and that kind of thing. But I, as far as you know, ghosts, I would, I would have, I would suspect that some of it really is that some of those beings are not fully connected in with the divine uh, consciousness and don't really have access to those answers. Oh, well, that, that's possible. Uh, so you said that uh, she she gave you future events that are going to happen, and you did say at the beginning of our discussion, "Go socks." So were you trying to tell us something there? <laughs> uh, I don't know about that one. I, I didn't see that. Um, there were, I mean, certain things in my own life that certainly um, she warned me about ahead of time that did come to pass. And um, some world events that did come to pass that uh, startled me. But can you, can, you uh, give, can you give us an example of one of those world events? Yeah, actually, she predicted. Uh, she told me that Donald Trump would be the president, and of course, this was two. I guess it was two years, two and a half years before the election. So I, I mean, I don't even think he had thrown his hat in the ring at that point. No, no, he hadn't. Uh, and so that was startling to me. I didn't even, I did not put that in my book because I thought, well, this is just too, I mean, I wrote the book before the election as well. And I thought, well, you know, this is too bizarre. There's no way he's going to run for president. So I didn't put it in there, but it turned out that she was right. And, uh, I mean, that was one of those big aha moments. Like, you know, I knew it was real before then, but then to have that really happen was absolutely startling um like wow you know she was dead on right is there anything coming up that we need to be concerned about well she did i mean she warned she warned me uh, and uh, through me the rest of this whole planet that 
you know, the, these years that we're going through right now, she told us, she told me about, you know, the strife that we were going to have amongst each other and the, the kind of like the bickering that we're having uh, right now going in within and going on with our country right now. Um, and But it would, it would clear up. We would get past it, but that it would, she called it, you know, you, you, this country is going to be going through a rough patch. And, and it felt like just a lot of dissension, a lot of kind of internal bickering, um, but that it was going to work out fine in the end. And as long as we, as citizens, you know, make an effort to really reach out and, and, um, you know, be tolerant and accepting and, um, you know, help each other along rather than uh, fight against each other. I think the way she put it was build bridges to other people, not not um, put up barriers to other people. And and I, I guess, you know, also in the in the paranormal vein, I should ask this question. Did she tell you if we were alone in the universe? <laughs> You're one of the first people that have asked that question. Um, it was very clear to me that we are not alone in the universe. She made that point very clear to me. Okay. And do you, do you have any inside information if we should expect any uh, any validation of that anytime soon? Well, I don't know. But, I mean, she didn't go into that part of it. She did show me um, some, some of the cities on other planets, or I guess... Uh, I don't know, cities is our term, but um, other gatherings of beings on other planets, I guess, if you will. Um, so those are pretty amazing to see that. It was very brief, um, but I was allowed to see some of those other civilizations, which was pretty cool. Um, but she didn't have any insight as to, oh, you know, in you know five years you're going to be um, visited. Not, none of that. I kind of wish, you know. <laughs> right, because, you know, you want to make sure you get a good seat for when that happens. I, I want to meet these people. I don't care what color they are, blue or purple or green or gray. doesn't matter. And, and I think that, uh, you know, if, if, if we are, you know, going through all this strife and we are supposed to come out on the, on the better end of it, uh, then I would think that, uh, you know, maybe that's part of what we're going to, be going through the strife for is to, to better ourselves and ready ourselves to be able to have those kind of interactions. Well, the way the way that she put it was, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm searching for the exact words because she was very, very profound with this. But it, I'm not, it's not coming to me. But basically, she was saying, um, you know, we're going through the strife and we're going to come out better, so that the hu humans can be more. Uh, able to be galactic citizens is the way that she put it. Well, uh, we're just about out of time with our, our guest, Nancy Rines. Uh, we, we should mention that uh, you can go to her website, nancyrines.com. That's R-Y-N-E-S, nancyrines.com. And you can pick up both of her books, Awakenings from the Light and Messages from Heaven. And, and Nancy, folks can also, uh, they can book you to come out and, and have discussions and, and share some of what you've learned uh, with groups. And it looks like you travel around the country doing that. I do. Yeah, I love to. I love speaking about this with people. And uh, certainly, uh, if you have anything coming up on the East Coast, uh, let us know because uh, we, we would love to, to help you spread the word about it. And, uh, and again, if you go to the website, you can find out about all of those things uh, as well. Uh, is there anything coming up out, out this way that we should, we should know about? 
Boy, I wish there was. Not a, not right now, uh, but I would like to come out to Boston or, you know, New England and, and do some talks, but I will definitely let you know if that comes up. All right. Well, we'd love to uh, to have the chance to have you in studio sometime and talk more about this, but it was just fascinating hearing about your near-death experience, and not only that, but the way that it has changed your life, and hopefully some, some people uh, are listening to the show tonight and can take that into account and, and live their life that way without having to also go through what you had gone through to be able to get those divine truths. Right. So thank you so much for joining us, and we look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thank you so much. All right, have I really a, appreciate it. Have a great night. And that is uh, Nancy Rines again. NancyRines.com is her website, R-Y-N-E-S.com. We're just about out of time for the show. Uh, we won't be here next week live because we'll be at an event. Actually, for the next two weeks, we'll be at events. However, we will have rebroadcasts of classic editions of Spooky South Coast uh, for you here, uh, both on WBSM as well as on the Paranormal Radio app. Uh, we will not have the YouTube show up and running live because we won't be here in the studio. So, But uh, we will have those classic spookies for you that you can listen to on the Paranormal Radio app or on WBSM.com or on SpookySouthCoast.com uh, just because we want to make sure that we can keep fulfilling the spooky quotient for October, that you can still hear some of our best stuff, even though we'll be out and uh, having some adventures. And you can join us on those adventures. Get your tickets at SpookySouthCoast.com for the events that are coming up. And, of course, uh, I'll, I'll be sharing all the information about my library lectures and all that that's going on as well. So just make sure that you follow us on Twitter, at SpookySC. You can follow me, at Tim Weisberg. You can follow Matt Costa. Matt likes tacos. Do you, do you still like tacos? Did I not turn your mic? I do like tacos. Did, did you celebrate National Taco Day the other day? Um, I did. I made, uh, well, when, when was it? Thursday? Thursday. No, I think I, I think I couldn't wait, so I think I, I made tacos on Wednesday. They should have just they yeah. should, but you just split the difference between Taco Tuesday and National Taco Day. Right. National Taco Day shouldn't be a particular date. It should be like the third Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Because now you're just trying to get tacos twice in one week. Right. But I thought I thought of you when it was Thursday. I was like, this is your day. Yep. So, but you can follow him at Matt Likes Tacos, and uh, and I highly recommend following the Spooky South Coast Instagram account if you don't. Matt puts some great stuff yeah. up there. Uh, so if you haven't followed that account, make sure you do that. What's that? At Spooky underscore South Coast, right? Yes. yes. And uh, and you can follow us uh, on Twitter at Spooky SC, as I mentioned before. Email us SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. Subscribe to us on YouTube and send us an email. SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. Let us know who you are, where you're listening from, so that we can you know get an idea of everybody that's out there. So until next time, for Matt, for Matt, for Stephanie, I'm Tim. We want you all to stay spooktacular.